I was just sitting here thinking as Christ team was singing about what that moment would have been like for the disciples and for those who had gathered around to see the cloud just take Jesus. There are certain things in this world that I can imagine that one I can't quite get my head around. To see someone whom you had followed, spent three years with, to see him crucified with all hope lost in that moment of every expectation that you had of what was coming suddenly stopped in the reality of his death. And three days later to begin to hear this rumor that Jesus was alive and to feel the excitement and the anticipation of could that be true until they saw him, they heard him, and they experienced him for those next few days. And then here they stand one more time watching Jesus ascend into heaven. But he left them with something. He left them with something, and it's the same thing he leaves with us. What would happen to them in that moment, when they see Jesus leaving, would solely depend on what they believed about what he left. Because Jesus had told them, yes, this is inevitable, I'm going away, this is going to happen, but I'm going to send someone. What did Jesus leave with them in that moment? It hadn't come true yet. He had left them with a promise. But as surely as I go away, I'm sending someone. And by the way, I'm even coming back at some point in the future. But the first thing that they could anticipate. So I wonder equally how strange it was for them to be sitting in that room those few days later. And all of a sudden there's this this mighty rushing wind. how, How strange would it be this morning for this to occur? All of a sudden for us sitting here calmly in this room and all of a sudden there's a mighty rushing wind And suddenly over every head, there's a flame standing. Anybody be startled by that? But I think the thing that would startle them the most, maybe not, but it wouldn't me, is to realize that the very nature of the person that I had followed for three years, that I'd seen crucified, that I'd seen resurrected, the very nature of the man whom I had seen ascend into heaven, that that nature suddenly was found in me. How strange that would be, how familiar that person would be, only to recognize that he's not out here anymore, he's now in me. All the love, all the compassion, all the power, all the authority, everything that we had seen in him, suddenly you realized was in me. Suddenly was in these hands and in this heart, was in these feet. How strange that moment would have been, because the promise that he made had come true. Well, I will tell you this morning, just as surely as that promise came true, the promise that he's coming again will come true. Jesus is coming. And I hope when you hear it, that is the best news that you could possibly ever desire or ever want. Over the last few days, especially on Christmas, to be able to sit there and hold that newborn grandson, to hold him in my arms, to anticipate the coming of this next one in April, We get in this moment and say, well, God, I I want you to come, but could you just wait until I see what happens and see my grandchildren? You see, what I would really, the mindset that we have is as great as these relationships are, as great as it is with the relationship that I've had with my wife for 38 years, to be able to love Jay and Aaron and Kate the way that we have had an opportunity to love them and to see our, our grandchildren come and be born and and as great as those are 
They are absolutely nothing compared to what that moment's going to be like when we stand in the presence of Jesus, the one who gave us life, the one who gave himself that we could be free, the one who paid everything so that you and I could love what we love now. I tell you what, we live in anticipation of a promise that he's made us. And I tell you what, it is, it is exciting to think about. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the family that's gathered here today. I thank you, Lord, for the unity in the spirit that you are creating. Lord, there's many people here that don't know each other. Haven't grown up together. We don't know each other because we haven't gone to church together a long time. We didn't go to school together. We don't know each other the way that the world knows and, and expects us to know each other. But this is, this is absolutely true. That you are creating a unity in the spirit that is far greater than the unity in the flesh. And we thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that as I look across these faces, I see gentleness and kindness and goodness. I see love. I see forgiveness and healing. Restoration and peace. I thank you, Lord, that what you have intended, the very nature that they received that day at Pentecost, has fallen on so many in this congregation. You see it. You hear it in the words of encouragement that they give one another, whether we know each other or not. For love extended. For kindness that seems unusual. For compassion. And Lord, again, as we said a few weeks ago, in promises fulfilled, that I will love you forever. In sickness and in health. Richer and poorer. Promises made and promises kept. I just thank you, Lord, that you are making our hearts tender to receive what you have for us in the big ways and in all the small ways. We thank you in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you this morning to turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 14. I share this scripture with you really having one desire. It's an unusual scripture. It's been taught many times because it's very graphic, very powerful scripture. But I share it for one reason. I uh, watch churches exist for a lot of reasons. I watch churches do many things in the name of God. And I'm not even going to bring those into question this morning. It's not what I want to say. What I do want to recognize this morning, though, is that the first evidence that a church is in obedience to God is that lives are being changed. When you look at any measure that Jesus used, that we could look at to look at his life and say, how successful was he in three and a half years? If we went by the size of the, of the purse that he was carrying and how much money was in there, we would have to determine it's a failure. If we were to look at the size of the building in which he preached, we would have to check that box that he was not successful there either. If we looked at how many people followed him from day to day, to see him go from 10,000 to only 40, we would have to mark that box and say, unsuccessful. As a pastor, as a preacher, as a missionary, as a minister, unsuccessful. So we say, on what measure should we consider ourselves? Well, I like the one that was, that was evident in his life, and it was this one. Everywhere Jesus went, everywhere he stepped, a life was changed. Everywhere. Broken, restored. Sicknesses healed. Blind, now can see. A woman at the well, now forgiven. 
the lost now saved. Everyone who had an encounter with Jesus, life was radically changed. We talk about this often. Anyone who comes into this moment where they have an encounter with Jesus, they aren't just redirected. Every one of them has a 180 degree response to what Jesus has just done and they, in their journey takes on a whole new direction because Jesus wasn't about just helping them. It was about restoring them so that they could be overcomers, so that they would be powerful, so that their life could be dynamically changed because of an encounter with Jesus. And now here's the simple message. Where does Jesus live now? In us. That power, that authority, that goodness, that kindness, everything that he had so that anyone who met him, their life was radically changed. Everyone who met him would encounter those things that he's now given us. I hope, and this is the most exciting thing that I see happening in this congregation, is that day by day, not only your lives change, but we begin to see Jesus in them and other lives being changed because of them. It's like a chain reaction. If I receive Jesus in me and the power, the power of the Holy Spirit, then maybe somebody who encounters me or the Christ who lives in me, maybe their life could be altered as well. That's excitement. Out of this scripture, I have a simple desire to call forth that radical change in each one of us. Judges chapter 14, two scriptures beginning with verse 8. And Samson turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took some in his hands and he went on eating. And he came to his father and mother and he gave some to them and they did eat. He did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. I have uh, no desire this morning to go and preach the entirety of this scripture. It's a great one. Samson has killed this lion because the spirit of God had come upon him. Again, it begins to be a very fascinating picture. He's killed this lion. A few days later, he comes back by the carcass of that lion, and that lion now is full of honey because a swarm of bees has taken up occupancy inside this lion. There would be some this morning who would probably say that I'm stretching this scripture to, to make a point. Rarely does anyone ever look at this event in the story of Samson and not focus on the riddle that comes afterward. Because this is the beginning of a, of a riddle. And so, so much of the time, the conversation out of this passage is about that riddle. That riddle ends with this verse. And this, I mean, this, this is the stuff of great sermons. It ends by Samson saying, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. It's very clear. They, the woman that he is in love with, they coerced to tell them the riddle that Samson has held them with. And she, in a moment of weakness, tells them what the riddle is. And he answers by this statement. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And that's, I guarantee you, that's good sermon material. That's a, that's a good scripture to base a, a message on. But I'm not going to look at all this this morning. I had a focus in these two scriptures. A few weeks ago, Donna, my sister in Kansas City, called. And she said something about this scripture. I hadn't thought about it in a while. The message took on relevance out of that conversation. So to anyone, I guess, who would say that I'm stretching this scripture to make a point, I would just have to tell you that I heard it by the Spirit of God that day 
and I'm just sharing what I heard. She shared something with me about something that was going on in her family. The passage stuck with me, and the Lord has now brought this message. It was truly remarkable, and, and if you can get your mind around this and your imagination around it, it was quite remarkable that a man could take a lion, a young lion especially, in the prime of his life, and kill that lion with his bare hands. It's amazing. And it would be equally amazing to see a few days later, if you understood the terrain and the nature of this country, to see that carcass with a swarm of bees in it with honey already being produced. It's a strange picture, so you wonder, what is God trying to tell us? What is this really all about? So let's take a look at that scene for just a second. In the background, somewhere behind Samson, there is a dead lion, a carcass. He's laying there on the ground. He's the result of an attack. In the background, we see this moment when Samson came into great conflict. He came under attack. He had made some really bad choices that had got him in that position. He had made some poor choices, some poor decisions. He had some misguided desires, things he wanted that he should not have wanted. And it brought him to this strange place where he was now under attack. And it says, but the Spirit of God, in this moment, the Spirit of God, in the verse earlier says, the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. He rent him as if he had been a kid or a small lamb. And he had nothing in his hands. So we know that's the way Samson killed him. The one reason why Samson was able to be victorious in this conflict was because the Spirit of God had come upon him. I want to stop right here because I want you to get this picture. All of us here in our background have those moments. We're living right here, but every one of us have these strange moments, a moment of conflict, a moment of a broken relationship, a moment at work, a moment of frustration, a moment when we did something when we shouldn't have bad choices, bad decisions, misplaced desires brought us to this moment of conflict. But because of the Spirit of God, that tragedy, that difficulty, and that conflict now, now sits behind us as a moment of victory. We all have them. Every one of us could go back right now and see and testify of those moments when the lion attacked by the Spirit of God, we can now sit here and look back at it as victory. Every one of us have them. And as remarkable as that is, that's not the end of the story. I will tell you this morning, if God wasn't powerful and we had to live today with no victory over those bad choices, with no victory over those poor decisions that we made, with no victory over those moments of conflict between family members and friends and all the things that we know are back there, how strange and sad this life would be if we couldn't look back into the background and see those past moments. That's in the background. But what's in the foreground now? And this one is equally strange. Here is Samson, having come by the carcass now a few days later, digging out of that old conflict, reaching into that old battle, into that old moment. He's now standing here in the foreground with his hands dripping with honey and saying, God, what in the world are you trying to tell us? How are you bringing sweetness, honey, out of that former conflict? 
What's the simple message or the purpose of this strange picture? Well, I want to ask you this question and see if you can answer it. Who else stands with sweetness to offer because of a raging lion that came against him? We'll find the answer in this verse. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here it is in the background. There's a cross. There's a battlefield. There's a final phrase, it is finished. There's an empty tomb and bewildered people wondering what in the world has happened. That is sitting in the background. A moment when death attacked Jesus. A moment when the lion came against him. And we see in this moment by this verse, by the giving of Jesus Christ and by his death, that that death was overcome. That that raging lion has now lying as a dead carcass. And you and I don't have to fear death anymore. It has been overcome. It is a fact of our life. But you and I as believers recognize powerfully and truly that we will never die. My soul and my spirit will never even feel the weight of death. The moment that I die that I will be in the presence of my father with my mind, my, my heart, my spirit, never even experiencing death, my body will die, but the promise is made, as I told you earlier, that this body will be resurrected and I will receive a new one. I don't have to fear death because I will never face it. Isn't that odd that Jesus was so thorough in his sacrifice, so complete in his work, that death would be so overcome and I, I am free from it to never have to face it. Yes, my body is going to die. Yes, it's going to get older. It's going to die in some moment. But that death has already been overcome because in my background back here, there is a moment when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in my background, there's a dead carcass back there of something that can never touch me again. If you're sitting here as a believer this morning, you also have a dead carcass in your background. It is your old man that passed away so that the new man could come to life. And it rests back there, never to come to life again, never to threaten again, never to be a power over you again, because that old has passed away. So that's in our background. What's in the foreground? Jesus stands among us this morning... With his hands full of sweetness, his hands are full of comfort, his hands are full of love and compassion, mercy and goodness. He can only give those sweet gifts because of the reality of the victory that he experienced earlier, the victory that he had won. He's simply fulfilling the reality of this. For God so loved, he gave. And we exchange this in the currency of heaven. Think about it. Let this sink into you because I want this to be relevant to you this morning. I want this to make a difference to you. I want it to make a difference in how you love your wife and how you love your husband. I want this to make a difference in the way that you treat your children. I want it to make a difference in the way that you treat each other. So how can this make so much difference?
Well, here's Jesus with a, a, a moment of death behind him, the reality of life in front of him, and he stands among us this morning, as Samson did with his parents and the ones who were around, in Jesus' hands this morning. Because of that death, because of his overcoming, because of that victory that put death in his place, Jesus now stands among us by the power of the Holy Spirit with sweetness on his hands. If you could get that in your mind, and Jesus is standing here offering the sweetness of all that he is to you, if it were him standing here this morning with the sweetness dripping off of his hands, what would you be able to do? And you would be so compelled to come. So compelled to come this, this morning, come to this moment, so compelled to just run and take what he had to offer. But you see, that's not the great message this morning. We understand that part, and to some extent, we believe it. To some extent, we have accepted it. I wish we were better at receiving the sweetness that Jesus is offering. I wish that we were better at receiving the comfort the healing, the strength, the forgiveness, the power, the authority, everything that, he, that is dripping off of his fingers, I wish our hearts were ready to receive so that we didn't face the things that we face with such hesitation or fear or uncertainty or doubt. And we could speak to others on this side of victory. Tell them about our past and tell them how we've overcome. Tell them about the brokenness and, how, and tell them about the healing. To tell them about where I used to be and where I am now. And to be able to describe to them. Because of the purpose of this message is for us to recognize that because of Jesus, because of his death in the background, because of what he wants to give us right now, he has so established us that we too, in our acceptance of him, accept the reality that death has been overcome and that we live life fully and that our hands are dripping with sweetness. That as a husband, Jackie, your hands are dripping with sweetness so that Johnny, so that Ashley, so that Logan can be the recipients of all the sweetness that God has placed in you. All the goodness, all the kindness. And we stand here, Doherty, you stand there with sweetness on your hands. Shelly, you stand there with sweetness on your hands, inviting others to come so that when they come, we can tell them of what Jesus has done. We can tell them about Him overcoming. Tell them about the brokenness in our life and what Jesus did to heal us and to restore us. And about relationships, we pray. We see the evidence of the prayer and how lives are changed. And we celebrate recognizing the whole time that it's because in our background, there's a moment, significant moment when I was eight years old, sitting on the bedside with my mom. She told me about Jesus. We talked about sin. And as much as an eight-year-old can understand what the Holy Spirit is doing, I said yes to Jesus and asked Him to be my Savior. I couldn't wait to, to get to school. Miss Hodges was my second grade teacher. I can remember standing in the line. We lined up in front of Mr. Tucker's office to go to lunch every, every day. I can remember standing in that line. I was a third kid back telling my teacher that I'd accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Couldn't wait. I was right there, that pew. I stepped those few steps and caught Thomas Lynn by the hand and told him I'd received Jesus as my Savior and I wanted to be baptized. 
Those moments are so clear in my head because in, the, in that background, there's victory. In those moments, there was moments of overcoming so that today, through all that God has done by the work of the Holy Spirit, I can stand here this morning and offer you the difference that He has made, not me. I can't give you any of me. It's not worth it. But I can give you this morning the difference that Jesus has made. We are overcomers. We are more than conquerors. We are those things that He's established us to be. And I pray this morning, it's real simple. Recognize that you can dip your hand into that old dead carcass and bring out the sweetness, the honey that we find there. Think of a, a past relationship that didn't go like you wanted it to go. And maybe it was even your fault. Maybe it was bad decisions and poor choices that brought you to this place. And you look back across it. I guarantee you when you surrender that to God and victory can be proclaimed, you may not see the evidence of it yet. You may not see any sign of victory yet. But I can tell you this. God gives you permission to go back to that broken moment and dip your hand into that moment and bring out the sweetness of it. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. Tell someone, share with someone the reality of the difference that God has made. Let him change this moment. I know that some of you sit here. I'll confess to you as well. I sit here with things in front of me that I don't understand. I sit here... And I could tell you by the nature of my prayer, those things right now that I'm stumbling over, I find myself afraid of far too many things. I find myself uncertain with doubt about way too much because I haven't realized yet to the fullness that I can how to reach back into those old moments and pull the victory forward. To reach into those old moments and fill this moment with faith. To reach into those old moments of victory and pull it and pull praise into this moment. I live afraid of far too many things because I'm still learning as well how to bring the victory into today. I would encourage you this morning to consider where you stand, where you are. Can you reach back into the old moments and bring sweetness and have something to give away right now? My suspicion is life-changing moments for some right now. How do you bring the sweetness forward? You take your hand into that past victory that sits in your background and you, with your hand you pull it forward and do what God said. Start giving it away. Start sharing it with others right now.